All right, uh, we do have a couple, and by the way, next month we'll have Rafat visiting uh, from Spoken Word Ministry. He'll be here in the States, so we'll get to hear him in a couple weeks. And then also uh, in a couple weeks we have John and Tiffany Davidson. We're going to be sending them off uh, to Israel. Uh, so that's, we've got a lot going on. It's pretty exciting. So please just keep all those things in your prayer. Uh, with that said, I want to get into, I want to pray tonight, and we'll get into Romans chapter 5. So let me go ahead and open a prayer. Lord God, Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And uh, just before we even get to the text, Lord, I want to ask that you might bring comfort to that Sunday school child that lost her dad. Lord, uh, today we're talking about trials and tribulations and the things we don't want in life. But Lord, that we can um, experience hope and rejoice in you during these periods. And so, Lord, I pray for that little girl that you might comfort her dearly. Uh, Lord, that those who are telling her about it right now, we just ask that you might give them words of comfort. Uh, Lord, may they they be a wonderful resource to her of your love. And uh, we pray, Lord, just that uh, you might comfort the whole family as they're dealing with this tragic loss. And now, Lord, as we enter into your word, we pray that you would just teach us. Uh, Lord, this is a hard subject to understand, but we know with your Holy Spirit, Lord, we might understand it, we might hang on to it, and Lord, that it might bring about great rejoicing in our lives. So we thank you, and we pray now that you'd open up your word to us and teach us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to start out, well, just to recap where we left off uh, last week. We, chapter 5 is the therefore chapter. And, it's, um, and Paul starts out with therefore having been justified by faith. Um, and it's important to understand that there are three gifts that we get from God in this chapter being justified by faith. Now, chapters 1 through 4, Paul went through explaining to us uh, what doesn't work. Uh, and and for, it started out with, it doesn't work to be good enough, to work hard. It doesn't work to be religious. Uh, it doesn't work to uh, be non-religious. And uh, all these things don't work. The only thing that works is faith in God. So, so you can try all you want to be a good person, but it doesn't work as far as giving salvation and giving you that justification. It is only by believing on Jesus Christ that we receive that justification by faith. So the three things that we saw last week, starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we have is the hostility has ceased and we now have peace with God. The second thing we have, it says, is that through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so the second thing we have is access by faith into this grace. And what a wonderful access that it, ha- it means because it means that we can go direct, directly to God now through this access that he's given to us. We don't have to fear going to God and we go right to his throne. We can pray. And uh, positionally, we already have these things having been justified by faith. And last week, we emphasized that when we speak about a positional standing, 
We're, we're saying that this is where you're at now. By believing in Jesus and being justified by, in, by faith means you, you can't get to that position someday. You're there. And, and, and there you are before the Lord. Uh, and so this should take all the burden off you of trying to be more holy, trying to be more religious, trying to be better. Uh, because we recognize that, no, God has already positionally put us there in Christ. So now what does that mean? Well, now we mature in Christ. We grow in him. And, and having started by faith in the Son of God, in Galatians, Paul says, we also are sanctified by his grace, by faith in the Son of God. We're, we're made holy in God. We mature in Christ by faith, okay? So that should take all the burden. And I know we, we get unsettled about this because we love to work for things. Uh, but this is the one thing, the one thing in life that you cannot work for and, and there's no amount of doing that will make you more loved by God in. You're not gonna earn special favor because you've already been given that favor through Jesus Christ, okay? And so it should really free you up in your thinking. Um, and so, and then the last thing which we really didn't get much into last week was through whom also we have access into this faith, into this grace, in which we stand, and now it says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I just want to say a couple things about this as we go on. Now, what is the glory of God? I think the easiest way to define what the glory of God is, is the sum total of his character. Well, that's a lot when we start to think about it. I mean, it's really too much for me to list off in a message tonight and talk about anything else. And, and honestly, uh, there are theologians that write all sorts of uh, on, uh, books on theology proper, which would be the discussion, the understanding of who God is. And, and you'll have volumes. I actually have volumes on my bookshelf about the character and the nature of God as we learn about him from the scriptures, as he reveals himself to, to us. But we can say that the glory of God is the sum total of his character. So that means that we would include the love of God, the, the justice of God, the everything of God, uh, his being, who he is. That's the glory of God. That's what, what makes him. And the Bible actually tells us that by being in Christ, we will share in that glory. So Paul says, the hope, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that one day that'll be realized. Now, hope is not hope in a way that, and whenever the Bible speaks about hope, it's not speaking about it in the way that you and I tend to think about hope. You and I tend to think about hope in a hope for, like, I hope so, I hope for, or I hope this happens, right? And when we say hope, we mean that there's always a chance that that will not happen, okay? We hope that, uh, that uh, something will go our way, or, well, I hope I'll get a raise, but you may get passed over for that raise. Or I, I remember when I was a kid, I was hoping one time for my dad not to get a job. I know that sounds weird, but my mom said, dad's going down the union hall, he's going to sign the books. If he gets a job, we're staying home today. If he doesn't get a job, we're going to Universal Studios, so how else am I supposed to hope here, right? 
<laughs> so, and I didn't understand the whole principle of the, the entire thing, but I'm like, oh boy, I hope dad doesn't get a job today. You know, but there was always that chance that he was going to get a job. Thankfully, that day, he didn't get called out, and we went to Universal Studios. It was great. But in a kid's mind, it was totally confusing. And, uh, and so, anyway, but we, we, when we say hope as a human, oftentimes there's a sense that that hope may not be fulfilled. Okay, that's not what Paul is speaking about. Paul is speaking about hope certainty, okay, not hope maybe. So when, when the Bible speaks about the Christian hope, it's, it's based on God and based on the promises of God. So it's a hope certainty that, that, that this will happen, not that this may happen. So when God says that your life is hidden away with Christ and, and you have the promise of eternal life and you will share in the resurrection, uh, that's not a hope maybe, like I, I hope someday I'll get to heaven, maybe if I'm good enough. No, no, no. That's heresy. No, it's hope certainty because Christ has done this. It will happen. Boy, now, I don't know about you, but this takes all the burden off. This should take all the burden off of everything that you think about God's expectations on your life. And I know we we have a problem with it. We're like, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, this sounds crazy. You're telling me that I get peace with God, access to God. I get to share in the glory of God, and I have this hope in God but I haven't done anything yet. Yes, you just believed in the work of Jesus Christ. There you go. You got it. You figured it out. And, and I know we want to work, but, do, but don't do that. You, you just trust in the Lord Jesus. So, so Paul says the hope of the glory of God, hope certainty that you and I will share in that. Now let's look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Okay, I don't know about you, but at this point I hear the record scratching. For those of you guys that know what a record is, for, <laughs> for those of you, it's really funny because I see youth kids today, they're like carrying around records. They're like, look what I have. It's a record. And we're like, yeah, we got rid of those things because the quality of the sound wasn't that good. You scratched them. You can't drive around. Have you ever tried try to drive with a record player in the car? <laughs> it just doesn't work. And, um, but but uh, a lot of the youth kids are kind of picking up on records. and They're buying records now. Uh, the nostalgic factor. They're like, man, the sound is so cool. That, And we're like, we got rid of all that. Uh, but in this, in this part of the verse, you kind of hear the record scratch because you're, you're, you're hearing, okay, we're, we're hoping in the glory of God. And then he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? That's the stuff we don't want. I love the idea of peace with God. I love the idea of access with God. I love the idea of the glory of God. But I'm not so keen on the, the tribulation part. That, that's the stuff we don't want. That's the stuff that's painful. That's the stuff that you and I all try to avoid. Now, let's try to understand what God is speaking through Paul and helping us teach us about this. Because the word tribulation is actually... An interesting word. You see, tribulation, uh, 
as we look at it here in these scriptures, uh, Paul is saying that we can rejoice in this and tribulation and all of a sudden, I, oh, there we go. That's why I'm way too far down on my notes by accident. Okay, tribulation is the word flipsies. All of a sudden, I'm getting tongue-tied here. Flipsies. And flipsies means, uh, it means tr- trial or tribulation. But we get our word tribulation not from the Greek word, but from the Latin tribulum. That's where we get our word from. And a tribulum is also a machine. It's not just a word. What a tribulum would do is you would feed the wheat through a tribulum. They had rollers on a tribulum. And, the, and, and as the wheat went through the tribulum, it would crush the wheat and it would cause the, the chaff of the wheat to fall off and the, the stuff you wanted from the wheat to come out, right? The, the, the grain of wheat, the kernel of wheat, that's what you want. But you didn't want all the, the dead stuff. So that was the tribulum. But flipsies is actually used in this idea of an olive press or a grape uh, a, a, something that crushes grapes. Now, think for me, a minute about olive oil and uh, grape juice or wine, because wine is important in the Bible. Wine is valuable in the Bible. In fact, we even saw that the first miracle Jesus did was turning the water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And uh, if you remember, what did they comment about that wine? Wow, you saved the best for last. This is the good stuff, the valuable stuff. And of course, uh, throughout the Bible, we see that oil is important and it's expensive. But we cannot get wine and we cannot get oil without the crushing of an olive or the crushing of a grape. So when we see this word, flipsies, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time Tonight saying this, I was saying it all day long, and and now I'm having a hard time with it. Um, uh, We cannot uh, get that olive oil or that precious wine without it first being crushed. And so when we see that Paul says rejoice, uh, and not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. What we're seeing is that the Bible is, is helping us understand that it is in tribulation, that the good stuff is coming out of you and I, that it's being developed, that it is in tribulation that our character is being exposed. Now, I know we don't want to do this, but again, we're not just going through trials for trial's sake. We're going through trials because of what? The hope of the glory. We're looking forward to who we will be, and the end of all these things. Now, I'm not saying this just to make everybody go, yay, I should have joy during trials, because we know that that's not what trials do in our lives. And when trials come into our lives, we want to say, I can't take any more. How do I deal with this? What do I do? All I want to do is cry all day long. I'm crying out for help. And, of course, we have uh, lots of passages in the Bible that speak of people under trial and under pressure. Now, I don't want you to think that Paul is just writing for, uh, from no experience. I mean, 
Paul actually is writing from deep experience in trial. You can read Paul's resume in Corinthians when he speaks about all the times he was beaten, that he was shipwrecked, uh, all these things that had happened to the apostle Paul. And that was all before his arrest and the first time he went to Rome and the shipwreck on the way to Rome, all those trials that he experienced. Paul is one writing from experience about the tribulations, the, the um, olive press uh, in his life, and then what that's been developing and dealing with in his life. And so Paul says that, that, that we can rejoice now because God has a purpose in the development of us as we move forward. So knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now, I want to say this about tribulations. God knows that we don't want tribulations, okay? We know that we don't want tribulations. Look at Jesus as he dealt with the tribulation of going to the cross. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prayed. What did he pray? Yeah, Lord, if it's possible. But, but it's not possible. It needed to happen. And, and what I want you to realize is that Jesus, being tempted in every way, yet was without sin and fully completed his mission to redeem us and reconcile us to God, uh, we don't have a high priest who cannot identify with everything we go through. So he understands trials and tribulations in life. And so Paul says that, that knowing the tribulation, so what does the word knowing mean? Well, knowing means looking ahead on the road map. You know what to expect. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I love to, to go hiking. I love to go into the backcountry. I love going and exploring off-road uh, and things that I've never been before. And I always pull up my maps. And I, well, and nowadays it's all digital. But I pull up the terrain. I kind of calculate out what I'm going to look for, what it's going to take, and try to figure it out before I get there so I know what to expect. I usually look for landmarks that I can expect so I know where I'm at on the trail and just understand, so I know ahead what to expect, and it makes the, the task at hand a much better task, because I know. So when I take my kids backpacking, and, and uh, I've said this even when I was a high school youth pastor, I would go backpacking, and the first thing kids say as soon as you start backpacking, are we almost there? Uh, so um, that's their first question, are we there yet? Um, and, and, uh, so then I just learned to start saying, yep, we're almost there. Like, wait a minute, you're just saying that, aren't you? Like, no, we are closer than when we started for sure. We're at least 10 steps closer than where we started. So we're almost there, you know? Uh, but, but having an idea of how far you have to go, how much you have to endure certainly helps in the trial. The problem is with trials in our lives, we don't always understand what that might look like over time. Now, there is a passage in the New Testament that is a mirror passage of this, and that's found in James. Let's go over to James for a moment. James chapter 1. And uh, as you turn over to James chapter 1, um, <clears throat> look at verses 2 through 4. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, James is not saying, oh, you should start laughing hysterically. You should act like you have joy. You should put on a happy face for everyone around you when you fall into trials of various kinds. That's not what James is saying. James is saying, consider, count it, reckon it, joy, when you fall into various trials. Know that this trial will produce something in your life. It doesn't mean that you might not snivel along the way, that you might not have times of maybe anger or times of grief. I mean, the, uh, an individual that we see in the, the Bible who understood this is Job. And what do we see Job? Job was not going around going, hey, everything is great. No, what we see from Job is he's going through this experience is there's times when Job is angry. There's times when Job doesn't know what to do. He's crying. He's sad. I mean, he's through, going through the whole gamut of emotion while he's dealing with the terrible suffering and trials that he underwent. Uh, and of course, uh, as we see what James is writing, he says, consider it, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? Well, it produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. Trials bring about completion in the believer's life. And I know no, nobody wants to believe that. <laughs> We'd like to believe that, that uh, everything going great would bring about completion in life, but it doesn't. Because it is trials that cause us to wait on the Lord. It is trials that cause us to lean in deeper to God. It is trials that cause us to see things differently than we would normally it is trials that, that turn us into that individual who can help care for and comfort others in their time of need. It is trials that produce uh, the perseverance in us, that endurance, so that we may be perfect and complete. You know, the Bible's uh, definition of perfect is also one of those definitions that is different from the human definition. The human definition of perfect is... Uh, uh, you know, we think about flaw, but we always think about an image of another human being as perfect, or we have some unreal expectation of what perfection is. God's definition of perfection is complete for what, it was, what his creation was created for. That means not lacking anything, that you are, de- you are working exactly as you have been designed to work. Like, for instance, what does a perfect hammer look like? Well, it's one that hits a, ha- a nail really well. You know what's not a perfect hammer? A wrench. Have you ever tried to hammer something with a wrench or a screwdriver? It doesn't work well, okay? And so somebody had the mindset to say, this isn't working. Let's develop a hammer. Oh, now it's perfect. And obviously, there's hammers that you pick up and you're like, this handle is amazing. <laughs> like, whatever the case is, somebody got it right with this. But the whole idea that it is perfect is that it is working as it is meant to work. And God is doing a work on you. He is bringing you about to that day of completion so that you will be just as he designed you to be. Perfect, complete, not lacking anything. 
So James, uh, Paul tells us that, that it develops perseverance in us. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but the word perseverance is a, is a hard word uh, because it means that we have to have this patient endurance, that, that uh, we're going through a trial. But I'll tell you this, perseverance, when a Christian is undergoing uh, trials, leads us, uh, we, we realize that our dependence is upon God, and we keep our dependence upon God, and we don't waver. That's perseverance. It doesn't mean we don't snivel. It doesn't mean we don't cry. It doesn't mean we don't say, God, why would you do this? And, you know, obviously we want to say, we want to ask God for wisdom, not ask why, but the fact is I know what, what it is when, when things hurt, okay? And uh, also, listen, when people are hurting, don't go around telling them, well, you know, you should be rejoicing right now. That's the worst possible thing you could ever say to somebody in pain. Uh, and, and just don't be fake Christians, okay? Be real people who are Christian, okay? But... Um, when, when we go through trial, we develop perseverance. And uh, when I was in water polo, I remember the first season, all I did was drown uh, in water polo. I just drowned. I just drank water and drowned. That's, that's all I did. Uh, and I remember the first year telling my coach, who was a total masochist and loved torturing high school students, uh, I can't. And we'd all say, I can't. We can't go anymore. And then the whistle would blow, boop, and we'd have to go. I'm like, what? I just told you I can't, but I just went and did it again. You know, I just did another lap, or I did an underwater. And I remember we would have to do sprints, and then uh, after doing a sprint, uh, we would have to do, he would blow a whistle, and we'd have to do an underwater swim. And anybody who popped up got a ball at their head. I know, it's a different time, okay? Uh, <laughs> so coaches can't do those things anymore. I even tried one time to say, Coach, I'm an asthmatic. I can't do it. And he blew the whistle. And I got a ball thrown at me, so I ducked down and went. Uh, So my coach hated us. But what we learned is that physically, the I can't wasn't really there. That wall that we had set up in our head was much farther, much farther beyond. Because what were we looking forward? What do we know? Well, we knew that if I did this... I got time in the game. And where did I want to be? I wanted to play the game. I wanted to have that opportunity to play. Uh, The worst threat is being a pine rider, right? Nobody wants to sit on the bench. So we want to work hard so we can get off the bench and into the game. And that's why we did it. We did it so we could play the game. So when it comes to enduring trials in our lives, we see that perseverance... Uh, the trial develops perseverance, and we know what's coming, the hope of the glory in God. So we rejoice knowing that God is using this. Now, there's a story in the New Testament that I I really love, and it starts out with that Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and people were putting money into the treasury there at the temple, and many who were rich Put in much, the Bible tells us. Then one poor widow came and tossed in two little mites. Barely even noticed it. But Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow 
has put more than all who have given to the treasury. For they all put out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had. Her whole livelihood is what the text tells us. Now, why do I love that story, and how does that go along with Romans 5? Pastor, isn't that a story about giving? I don't think so. I mean, yes, it is, but, but no, it's also not, because what I love about this story is it's a time in which Jesus observes someone, and he calls the attention of the disciples, but as far as we know, he never even spoke to that woman. In fact, the woman never even knew that Jesus saw her. Right, because our, our desire is God sees and then God rescues immediately out of the situation. And what we know about this woman is this woman was uh, poor. She was really poor. She had nothing. And in fact, Jesus said that she gave all that she had. So what does that leave for tomorrow? We don't know. We don't know. Jesus, can't you give us her name or where's the follow-up? What happened? We just know that Jesus saw her. And Jesus used her as an illustration to teach the disciples about faith. That woman has faith because she's giving all she has out of her poverty. She's sacrificing everything unto God. But we don't learn anything about what happened the next day. As far as we know, Jesus never interacted with her, didn't tell her anything. She went on in her life just depending on God. She persevered. That's what I love about this story. It's a a woman of faith who perseveres through her circumstances. We we don't have any, we don't know that, that, she was immediately rescued. Eventually, she was rescued. Uh, certainly, she went to be with the Lord eventually. We don't know how long it lasted. But she had faith and persevered. And she acted on her faith. I love that story. And, and to me, that's a beautiful picture of perseverance here in the New Testament. So when we speak, when we go back to Romans chapter 5, and it says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, what does it produce in us? It says character. And character, what does it produce? Hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Remember, is it hope for? You guys remember from the beginning of the sermon? Do we hope for? We hope certain. Okay? We have a hope certain, not a hope for. And so the Bible tells us that, that uh, the, the perseverance develops character. Character develops hope, hope certain, because we depend upon that. And of course, uh, in um, 1 Corinthians 9.20, oh, sorry, I'm going to go over to 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, uh, Paul writes, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So we see that there is a testing going on in the believer's life. And uh, that testing comes in many different ways, tribulations. It comes through, through uh, uh, trials. It comes through situation. But we see that um, 
there, when Paul says, but we have been approved by God, the word there is dokimazo. And, uh, and it, it means to have the stamp of approval that, that this one has stood the test, that this one can do uh, what it was designed to do. And so Paul says, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. That's who we want to please. Now when we go to 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul writes, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Now this is speaking, he's giving the illustration of a runner who runs in the race. Uh, and he says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified. Well, that's the same word with a little difference. That's um, adakimos. And so there's a, a prefix, a, an alpha prefix right before it, which means not approved. So before he says, God test our hearts, we've been approved by God. Uh, we, we've, we've passed the test. And this is that idea of like, I don't want to be disqualified. So the tribulations, the trials in our lives produce approval by God. It's a t- it, God tests us. We become approved. Perseverance produces character. So that's that character that, that is approved by God as you go through these trials in life. And because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, uh, going back to verse 5 there, chapter 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So uh, th- this is a lot here. I mean, Paul jam-packs these five verses with, just, wow. And so he says, um, hope does not disappoint, okay, because it's hope certain. It's never going to disappoint. Uh, and and the, why is it not going to disappoint? And, and th- this goes with tribulation, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the Holy Spirit testifies to us the love of God, and he ministers to us as we endure the trials in our lives as we go through this period, and God develops our character. So, no, none of us want trials. Nobody wants tribulations, but the believer can rejoice in the trial, rejoice in the tribulation, because God is bringing out the good stuff in you. He's bringing out the good character, just like the olive press, just like the grape. He's bringing out that, that, that which is of worth. All right, verse 6, and we're going to do these last couple quickly. For when we were, uh, okay, verse 6, here we go. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, now, we have now received the reconciliation. All right, this is wonderful because Paul is kind of, he anticipates his critics. Uh, he always does this. He just is always anticipating the critics. So he's just finished telling us that we've been justified by faith. And so a critic might ask the question, well, if we've been justified by faith, then the rest is up to us, right? 
And that might be where we, we get to the conclusion that, okay, I've got to start doing something. And so this is where Paul begins to say, well, not only were you justified by your faith, but you will also be reconciled to God by your faith. And, uh, and more than that, you will be saved by that very faith. So he says, while we are still without strength, okay, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, okay? So while we were still without strength, um, think about that for a moment. What strength did you have to save yourself? It's a beautiful picture that Paul gives us. You didn't. You didn't have the ability. You, you, you couldn't do it. Uh, in a sense, picture the dead man floating in the water and the rescue diver dives out to them to snatch them out, right? They, they just didn't have the strength. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get to the boat. And so we have this wonderful picture that Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Well, that's true, right? Uh, very rarely will somebody jump in and volunteer to die for a righteous person. And like, you know, yeah, I'd like to die for that one. You know, we, most of us don't want to die, right? We want to we save our lives. That's, that's kind of where our attitude is. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Okay, so there might be some sacrifice for a good man. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. I love this verse. In that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, that's a verse that you should underline, uh, that you should have that one marked out. Memorize that verse. Because when you are in the trial, and you're dealing with the tribulation, and you're crying, and uh, you're having a hard time with it, uh, you can remember, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You go to the cross. That, that's what I want to challenge you to do. When you're in the trial, you go to the cross. God, you loved me. You died for me while I was still a sinner, while I was an enemy. Certainly you haven't forsaken me now. Remember, that was one of Job's issues. He thought he had been forsaken by God at one time. And of course, as he as he kept asking questions, eventually God showed up and God told Job, he said, okay, Job, you tell me how I made the elephant and uh, then I'll answer all your questions. And Job said, I repent in ashes. I'm done. I can't do it. I repent because your glory is too great for me. And so as soon as Job realized who he was speaking to and who God was and a little bit of God's glory, he was, he was done. And so this God who is so amazing while we were still sinners, died for us. Much more than having no, now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. So you haven't been justi just justified. You, you've actually been saved from the coming wrath. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. i got to close. I'm running out of time here. But uh, this is where I want to go, where we're going next. Now we're going to start to understand, as Paul continues on this letter, he's going to help us understand how it is that God not only justified us, that he remained just, that God actually saves us from the wrath, and all this is by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, so hopefully by the time we're done getting through Romans 8, 
uh, we all will say, whenever we say by what, you'll say by faith in Jesus Christ. We'll all just know this. We'll have this down. But what a wonderful gift God has given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, with that said, I got to close and we will pray. Yeah. Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your wonderful gift. And Lord, for anyone who is enduring trials right now, may you comfort them. Lord, meet them. Minister to them, Lord. Let them put their hope in you. Lord, we don't want to minimize any suffering because we recognize that all suffering hurts and it's painful and it seems like it will never end. But Lord God, we know that, that as we look to you, we get a different perspective and we thank you for that. So we pray, Lord, for you to comfort those who are hurting. Lord, for you to rescue those who need rescuing. Lord, that you might encourage the weak. And uh, Lord, we also want to just pray for anyone in here who's struggling uh, with depending upon themselves for faith, for salvation. Lord, may you comfort them and let them know that you've done the work, that you've finished the, the, their salvation for them. And we rejoice in you. So we thank you, dear God. We, we love you. We thank you that we have a hope that is certain in you that one day we will be resurrected from the dead and be complete, not lacking anything. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, tribulation, sickness, disappointments, really what they do is they get us ready to go. (laughs) And I'll tell you that our present sufferings will be completely eclipsed by that wonderful vision of God in all his glory on that day. Hebrews 11.39 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so, as we live out these lives, I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.